you're listening to The Gathering Church Podcast, located in Asheville, North Carolina. The Gathering is a place where you can belong before you believe. To find out more, visit gatherashville.org. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor, and it's such an honor to have you guys with us here today. Today is a start of a brand new series, and I can't wait to get into it with you. But first, I got a couple things that I want to share with you. First, over the next few weeks, what I would like to do is introduce you to some people uh, who are here to serve you, who are who are really a big part of what we do as a church. You know, we've always said that the church is really always meant to be about more than a pastor caring for people, but that we as the church, we all use our gifts and serve together and care for one another together, and it is bigger than one person, and a part of that is our elder board. So Mark and Mary, why don't you guys come out here? I want to introduce you to a couple of our elders, and I'll be introducing you to all of our elders kind of over the uh, next few weeks. So this is Mark and Mary McClear, and they're on our board. Yeah, give them a welcome. <laughs> tell them thanks for coming here. Mark, why don't you tell them a little bit about yourself? Okay, so uh, we moved up. Oops. We moved up here. Is it? Let me see. Is it? Yeah. I think the board's got a turn. Oh. Have you got him on? This is, uh, this is we're, me and... April, what did you do? It should be working now. I hear it. All right. Oh, yeah. I turned it Must off and turned confetti. it on again. <laughs> yeah, so um, um, Mary and I moved up here about two years ago, and we were looking for a church home. We tried several local churches. Um, we, had, uh, we have four adult daughters. Uh, they've got all their own big girl homes and big girl, big girl jobs. We had one of them visiting with us, and the three of us attended the gathering. And um, during the last song, our daughter reached over and touched my sleeve and said, you found your church home. And so we agreed and we said, this is gonna be our church home and we hope you guys feel the same way. We are honored to uh, serve here. We're uh, honored to uh, lead under John Mark's leadership. And uh, yeah, we just hope that uh, you feel the same way and that you get plugged in and find community and uh, find an opportunity to serve. Uh, one of the places that we serve is the um, Asheville Dream Center and Mary's gonna say a little bit about that. Okay, so the Asheville Dream Center is an organization that came into Asheville a few years ago and just wanted to really make a difference in the lives of people in need here. So they, um, they have a big dream to eventually get a bunch of apartment complexes to um, serve, but right now they work in the Hillcrest community. And so every other Saturday, y'all can come and we all um, go and do all kinds of stuff. We minister to the people door to door. They literally have built relationships of everybody in that neighborhood. They didn't just come in and give them a bunch of stuff and then left. No, they, they go door to door during the week. They get to meet these people. And when you go and you volunteer there, you'll see the relationships that have been built. Mm -hmm. I mean, they go in, like yesterday, they brought in new beds. I mean, there are kids there that have never had a bedroom. They have slept on the floor their whole life. And they, through donations and volunteers, they come in and they, it's like an extreme makeover, you know, bedroom edition. And these kids get beds for the first time. They get the Spider-Man, you know, motif or the princess motif. And, you know, they go out and play at the park all day and they come back and they actually have a bedroom. They've actually slept in a bedroom for the first time in their life. And the same thing for the moms or the dads, we do that. They clean the houses, they've given them washing machines. 
So it's more than just giving. They, they give in relationally first. They pray with them. There is lives that have been changed. I mean, people coming off the street, getting a home, and being loved on. That's awesome. And they see Jesus. Yeah, yeah they definitely yeah, and see share Jesus. Yeah, share Jesus with them as well, Mark says. <laughs> yeah. You know, that, that's the, the, what we love about the Dream Center is that it, rather than being able to just uh, serve a meal or, or make a difference for a moment, that their goal is to make a lasting difference yeah. and to make a big change yeah. that, that, uh, that breaks cycles yeah. in that community. And that's what they're doing. Mark and Mary, from the moment that they came into our, our church, they dove right in, have been a huge part. Uh, they've been on the dream team. Mary has planned every event you've loved in the last couple years and uh, served with the Dream Center and done so much for us. And you know, the things that the Dream Center does, like providing beds, you're a part of that when you give to the Gathering Church. Uh, your generosity has made it possible for the Dream Center to serve over this last year. And so thank you so much for being a part of that lasting change in people's lives. And uh, I wanted you to meet Mark and Mary because Mark and Mary, uh, as a part of our elder team, they're, they're some of the folks that are here to care for you and uh, to be there with you as you go through life and when you need prayer and when you, when you need somebody to step in, you know, sometimes we're going to, as the staff, we're going to connect you with these folks. And I promise you, these are the people that we turn to when we have needs. And so you are going to want to get to know every member of our elder board. They serve so well. Mark and Mary serve so well. Such good friends to my family. We love you guys so much. Thank you for being on this team and being a part of it. And, and, and thanks for, for everything. We can't wait for folks to get to know you more. Yeah, have a great Sunday. Thanks. What's the politest way to move to the next part? Okay, um, so I, I'm sharing with you about the Dream Center. I have a Mark and Mary share with you about it because it's one of the areas that we give to with our legacy offering. We're gearing up right now for our legacy offering that we take up. It's our year-end giving. We only do one uh, big giving campaign every year at the Gathering Church. At the end of the year, we call it our legacy offering. This year, it's going to be on December 5th. And our goal with the legacy offering is in more ways than one to build a lasting legacy in our community and around the world in the name of Jesus for the gospel. And so uh, one of the areas that we give big every year with our legacy offering is the Dream Center. Uh, this year they're buying bicycles for like all these kids for Christmas, which is the best thing. I, can't, I mean, I'm so excited. Just uh, this, There's going to be like bike, bike, just bike clubs riding all over that apartment complex on Christmas morning and we get to be a part of that through our legacy offering this year and so it's such an awesome thing to be a part of as the legacy offering approaches I'll share with you some more of the things that we use that offering for as a church and uh, what that looks like for us I want you to know uh, that at the gathering it is not our way to pressure you into giving it is not our way to uh, compel you or to do all the things, you know, to try to trick you into giving what we really, in fact, we, we don't even really, we're not going to ask you for anything specific. What, what we're going to do is present you with what we're going to do with this offering, what God's going to use it for. And then we just ask you to pray and to take the next couple weeks as you approach that time uh, to ask God how he would have you be a part of this and to pray over it and then just to be obedient, uh, to be obedient to him, not to us. That is what it is all about. Well, today we're starting a brand new series called Be Rich. Be Rich. I want to take a couple weeks 
to learn how to be rich, who came on the right Sunday today. Come on, somebody. We're going to learn how to be rich for the next couple weeks. And uh, today, I want to talk about how we're going to be rich on earth. Next week, we'll talk about being rich in heaven. But today, I just want to talk about how we're going to be rich on earth for a moment. First, all you got to do is there's an envelope in your chair. Put $10 into that. Sew it into this ministry and God's going to multiply it right back. I'm just kidding you guys. It's not that kind of message. It is, it is not that kind of message unless you want it to be. But <laughs> do y'all enjoy those tractors on the way in this morning? Legacy offerings coming. We had them park those out there so that we could talk about a building. Like we need to buy a building. We need to, can you guys dig up the parking lot? We got to get this place looking rough so that we can get the people to move. Come on, somebody. Amen. Uh, well, as a people, we spend a lot of time thinking about and talking about and pursuing money. Money is on our minds. I got my mind on my money and my money on my mind as the theologian Snoop Doggy D once said. But we get uncomfortable talking about this is a, this is a thing. Y'all, did I fix it? I made it worse. I'm sorry, Dave, you're doing a great job. This is a me thing. Um, I was rough with this microphone when I was putting it on today and I messed with it too much. So sorry if it makes noise. As a people, we, we get uncomfortable talking about money, right? We don't like it when our friends, unco- we, we don't, if our friends say, hey, how much are you making right now? What's a, what was, your, what was your, your total take home at the end of the year last year? COVID messed me up. What was your, in, what are you putting down on your taxes this year? Is your taxable going to be the same? Did you make any gains uh, using cryptocurrencies last year? What are you going to be writing down for that sort of thing. We get uncomfortable talking about it. We, we, we don't like to talk about our personal money with our friends or with our family. We get weird about it when the topic comes up and we feel most uncomfortable about money when the pastor wants to talk about money. To me, this is all a great indicator that money is a very important thing for us to talk about in church. The Bible talks about money five times more than it talks about heaven. And Jesus spoke about money more than any other single subject during his three years of ministry on earth. Money matters. Money matters. Your money is having war right now for the first position in your hearts. Today, I want to talk about how to win that war and be rich here on earth without losing your heart in the process. We'll start by looking at 1 Timothy chapter 6. This book in the Bible is actually a letter written from one pastor, Paul, to another younger pastor, Timothy. And Paul is giving Timothy instructions on what to teach the people in his church about money. Start in verse 6. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and we could take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many grieves. A little encouragement for your Sunday morning. Your money is at war with God for the first position in your hearts. 
It's a war that has been going on since the very beginning of time. It is the war that Cain lost when God asked him to surrender part of his crops, a part of his herd to him. And Cain said, no, this is mine. It is for me. I am building something. It is a war that has been fought in every generation of man. And it's not just money. For some of us, it might be. But it's also, it's the things that money represents. Security, self-worth, independence, our ability to do what we want to gratify our desires. Make no mistake about it. Your money right now is trying to set itself up as an idol in your life. So what do we do? Let's jump in this chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 6 to verse 17. Paul says this to the young pastor. Command those who are rich, those who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but instead to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Today, we're going to talk about how we correct our thinking, the way that we think about money, because our thinking matters. Our Thinking affects more than just our state of mind. It affects everything. It says in Proverbs 23, verse 7, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Our thinking affects us in a major way. It's no surprise, uh, but we still struggle to change the way that we think. So if we're going to learn how to be rich here on earth today, then we're going to have to take Paul's advice in Romans chapter 12, Verse two, it says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need to renew our minds around the subject of money for a moment today. The renewing of our mind is where we start to live in a brand new kind of freedom financially. So I wanna look at three ways that rich people think, and then I wanna talk about the right way for us to think. So let me talk through some thoughts I have about how rich people think. First, rich people, here's an observation I've made. Rich people don't like to admit that they are rich. Maybe uh, I've been talking about rich people for a couple minutes now and you're thinking, well, thank goodness he's not talking about me today. How is this message going to apply to me? I'm not rich. I want to address that. Globally, adjusted for cost of living and social economy. The average income is $19,000 per person. If you make per family, $19,000 per family, if you make more than that by the global standard, you are rich. Half, half of the world's population, around four and a half billion people, do not have running water in their homes. And here in the United States, we just spray it on the ground. We're just out here haphazard. We shoot our cars with it. We, half of the world's population doesn't have running water in their homes. Because you were born in the U.S., there's a good chance that taken on the scale of humanity, not the scale of your neighbors, you are rich. In fact, if you make more than $38,000 per household, per household, you're in the top 10% of earners on planet earth. Top 10%. The average household income in Asheville is $53,000. We live in a very rich city. 
if that's you, maybe you're sitting here with a stank face right now looking at me thinking, I'm not rich. I live in a three-bedroom apartment with four other adults. <laughs> this is Asheville. I can barely afford gas right now talking to me about being rich. I'm trying to give you a different perspective. Uh, let's define being rich as having more than we need to survive because so much of the world doesn't even have what they need to survive. So let's talk about being rich in the context of having more than we need to survive. The first step to being rich here on earth is admitting, hey, maybe I already am. Now you just have to learn how to perceive it and you have to learn how to steward it. Everybody defines rich simply as having more than them what they have. That is the standard definition of being rich. It's having a little bit more or a lot more than what I've got right now. We're not afraid uh, to identify other things about ourselves, right? Uh, if you're tall, you'll admit you're tall. If you're athletic, you'll admit you're athletic. But if I asked who was rich in here, nobody's going to shoot their hand up. We're not going to shoot our hands up and say, yeah, that's me, I'm rich, because rich people don't like to admit that they're rich. We don't think that way. Gallup did some surveys a few years ago. I love this survey. I think it's the funniest thing ever. They surveyed a study group of 10,000 randomly selected people across the United States to see what people considered being rich. What did rich mean to different groups of people? What does it mean to be rich? The average uh, number that they came up with was $150,000. But let's break it down into a few different categories. 150,000 was the average. The people in here right now who are, who are making, you know, uh, less than that are thinking, yeah, that's, that's right. That's rich. That's what rich is. That's what rich is. It's not me. It's that. But then Gallup went and talked to the folks who made $150,000 a year and they asked them, uh, who is rich? And their answer was people who made around $450,000 a year. Their answer was people who made around $450,000 a year. And so then Gallup said, well, let's take this further. And they did a survey of people who subscribe to Money Magazine. Now let's just go ahead and assume that if you're getting Money Magazine sent to your mailbox once a month, you're the kind of person who, likes, who, who knows how to make money already. You're reading about it, you're thinking, mm, yes, portfolios, things like that. <laughs> the average subscriber of Money Magazine classified rich as somebody who grossed $5 million per year. $5 million per year is what they consider to be rich. Gallup surveyed people who made thirty-four dollars to $38,000 a year. Their answer was $75,000 a year is rich. $75,000 a year is rich. Somebody with Money Magazine is like $5 million. Somebody over here making the national average, the global average, is saying seventy-five would be rich. That would be rich. I could afford a car payment. That'd be rich. Do you know what we learned from that survey? We learned that nobody is rich, but everybody knows someone who is. Nobody is rich, but everybody knows someone who is. Rich people don't like to admit they are rich. It is time to admit that perhaps on the global scale as a person, maybe I'm rich. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9 says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty he could make you rich. 
He has made you rich because God trusts you to do something with it. Look at verse 11. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Most of us, by many different metrics, are rich. It's time to admit it so we can do something good with it. It's okay to admit you're rich. I don't want you to feel guilty. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty about what's going on in the rest of the world today. It's not my goal. My goal isn't to give you a guilt trip about it. It's not to make us feel guilty. The goal is to open up our minds and open up our perspective so that we can see things a little bit better today. Second thing that I've observed about rich people is that rich people are plagued by discontentment. Rich people are plagued, plagued by discontentment. This is a plague in the United States of America. The more stuff a person has, the more stuff a person wants. Solomon, the great king of Israel, he was called the, the richest king who ever lived, discovered this. In Ecclesiastes chapter five, verses 10 and 12, he says, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, this is the truest verse in the Bible. The more money that you have, the more people will come to help you spend it. <laughs> so what good is wealth? Except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers. We know that it's meaningless. We know that money is meaningless. But we act like it's gonna bring us happiness. We have this idea, we have this saying, money can't buy you happiness. There's a country song that I love that says, but it can buy you a boat and a truck to pull it. Yeti 110, ice down with some silver bullets. And it's a great song. But in our heart of hearts, we see this all the time. I mean, the three richest people in the world all went through separations and divorces this last year. Because money just doesn't buy you happiness. It doesn't matter how much you have. It is never, $220 billion isn't enough. It's never enough. So we have this understanding that it's not gonna be enough, that it's not gonna bring me happiness, but we still pursue it, we act like it does, we think like it will make us happy. Solomon says, what good is wealth except to watch it slip through your fingers. People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. Here's something crazy. Rich people do the craziest things because they can't be content. Did you know? Uh, that some rich people replace perfectly good cell phones just because a new model has come out. They stand in line to do this, spend thousands of dollars. It's true. Did you know that there are rich people in this world who will walk into a room in their house, an entire room built for clothes, a closet, and look around and say, I've got nothing to wear. We wanna get paid more so that we can buy more stuff. We want the newest, coolest toys for our kids. We want the very best car to replace the one that we have because the one that we have does not park itself and parking is hard. We want the bigger house in the better neighborhood because we've gotta have an extra room for the piano. There's no piano room in our current house. Sometimes we've just gotta be reminded to be content. We gotta remember what contentedness is. 
to take inventory of what we have and discover that it's not our things and it's not our stuff that gives us satisfaction in this world. And so we don't need to wrap our lives and our hearts up in a constant pursuit of more. Now, this is a hard thing for me to sit up here and say when my wife is sitting back there judging me right now because she knows I love stuff. I, I do. I love stuff. I love Amazon.com. I love the buy it now feature. You know, there was tape on here and I took it off. I thought, what's that tape for? I'm sorry, Robert. Now I know what the tape was for. It just occurred to me. This is not your fault, Dave. I took that. Yeah, that was me. I thought, why is this tape? I was even talking about it. Back there. I was like, what's this tape doing on here? Took it off. I'll just hold it if I have to. My wife knows that I struggle with this too. I love the Amazon buy it now option. I keep a cart full at Amazon. Anybody do this? I keep a cart full on Amazon.com all the time, ready to go in a moment's notice. You know, I, this is like I get, I get somebody, I get a check I didn't expect. I'm like, yeah, buy it now. Boom. Yes. <laughs> it will be here tomorrow. Thank you, Amazon. I struggle with being content and it creates stress for me. And desire, which leads to less money, which means I've got less finances to leverage for the good of others or to give away. And as I study these scriptures, the, the truth that it tells us about what it means to have money, I'm challenged to do better, to learn more about contentment so that I can live more generously. Rich people uh, are plagued by discontentment and rich people live with a false sense of security. They live with a false sense of security. There's this idea that goes around our minds that says we can save our way to being secure. That if we can just get that account to a specific place, or we can get our income to a specific place, or shave our expenses to a specific place, we will finally be secure. We will have the sense of security that we are in such desperate need of. This mentality says I can save myself if I just have enough money. I wonder how much money would you need to secure your future against all possible realities? The answer is more than you have right now, which feeds into more discontentment, which makes it harder for you to admit that you are rich, which feeds into a greater need which makes more discontentment. Listen, I'm not telling you not to have an emergency fund. Be wise with your finances, everybody. Be wise. Go to a, a financial planner. Have them figure it out for you. Do those things. But your security and your peace that you place in your hearts does not come from a number in a bank account. Proverbs 18, 11 says, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it to be a wall too high to scale. Money can make life easier. It can provide some good security. It's good to have a savings. I've got an emergency stash of cash in an ammo can buried in my backyard just like the rest of you. <laughs> I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just saying don't find your peace in something that is unreliable, that is unstable, that is going to always work against you, that is only going to ever serve itself, that is going to come and go with the way of the world. Don't put your peace in it. Don't put your joy in it. Don't make it your life's ambition because it will abandon you the first chance that it has. 
We've got to stop searching for our security in something we cannot rely on. So what do we do about all this? What do we do with this information about how rich people feel and how they think? Obviously, the answer is to give all your money to us. You'll feel much better. Sell your house, sell your cars, move into a tent with three other families, give your kids toys away. I'm kidding. But this is how we get sometimes, isn't it? We move from one extreme to the other. We can only view things in the nature of extremes. We deal in the nature of extremes. We don't want to be slaves to our money, but we don't want to be bad, rich people. And so we just walk out of there and we think, you know, I'm just going to have to get rid of all of my things. All my stuff's got to go. I'm going to Marie Kondo the house. None of it brings me joy. It's gone. <laughs> we, we overreact. And we get in this cycle where we feel guilty or, or, and so we make a choice and then we collect again and we pursue. We just get in this cycle of extremes that is never ending. And so let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 again. It says, But to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyments. So we don't need to feel guilty for having money. We don't need to feel guilty for having more than other people have. We don't have to feel guilty for enjoying it. God gave you everything that you have for you to enjoy. However, he does want you to view it differently than the rest of the world views it. And so here's how we think right. Here's how to be rich and to do it right. And here's some biblical ideas for how you should view money, how you should see it, how you should pursue it, how you should think about it if you want your heart to remain in the right place, if you want God to win the war for your heart over money. First, I will be grateful. Here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna be grateful, first and foremost, for everything that I have. In 1 Chronicles 29, King David, the great king of Israel, was launching a building campaign. He was calling people to give, to build a temple, a home for God. They had been in portable church for a long time, and it was time to build a facility, and now they needed to pay for it. And God had provided greatly for the kingdom of Israel during David's reign. They were on track to become the wealthiest nation in the world within the next generation. And David was very grateful for everything that they had. So first, he called his leaders to give because if the leaders don't give sacrificially, why should the people? That's why all of our staff either gives 10% or more. We don't call people to a higher standard than we call ourselves. David gave from his own personal, personal treasure to the temple above his regular tithe and then encouraged others to do so and then the people of Israel did so and then they had enough to build the temple and David felt extremely grateful. Here's the song that he wrote right afterwards, verse 10 of First Chronicles chapter 29. It says, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly saying, praise be to you, O Lord, the God of our father Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is this kingdom, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You're the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and we praise your glorious name. <laughs> but who am I 
And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we've given you only what comes from your hand. Gratitude makes me more generous. Because when I know that all I have has been given to me, it is easier for me to give it away to someone else. C.S. Lewis once said, every blessing that I'm given, I keep in my hand and not in my heart. For if it is in my hand, I am easier, all the easier for me to give it away. I, uh, when I sit down to do our monthly budget for my family every month, I, I sit down first and have a moment of prayer. And I just kind of, I always imagine that I've, I like, and this is, uh, you know, I like watch a lot of cartoons. I think about like the gold coins that Scrooge McDuck has. Lift my hands up like I'm holding them. And I say, who am I? And who is my family that we should be able to give as generously as this? Thank you, Lord, for every penny that you've trusted us with, everything that you've given us. Help me to steward it well. Help me, God to make the decisions you would make with this money. This money doesn't rule me. This money is not for me. This is so that I can keep doing what you've created and called me to do. Then I sit down and the first line item in my budget is generosity. First thing is to write it out and to think through how we're gonna be generous this month. When you are grateful, it releases your heart of the entitlement that we often get that leads us into greater pursuit, that leads us to place our hope and our security in our finances. So be grateful. We don't want you to be guilty. We just want you to be grateful. So what do we do about the discontentment that we have? The second thing is I will lead with generosity. Before I spend, I give. Before I spend, I give. In order to be rich well and to stop being so discontent with what I have, I need to be grateful and understand that everything that I have comes from God and I have only given what comes from his hand anyways. The way that I demonstrate that I understand that is by setting aside the money I give away before I set aside the money that I'll keep. It's what my family does. What we do with the church finances. We talk through the 10% that we're gonna give away every month, where it's going, the specific places, where the needs are, how we're gonna save. And then we talk about what we're gonna be spending in the light of our budget. I do this with my family's money. We do this with the church money. I believe that if you lead with generosity, it tells your heart where this money lies in the pecking order. Who gets the first position of my heart? Deuteronomy 14, 23 says this about the tithe. It says, the purpose of the tithe is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. Tithing is more about leading than it is about law. It's not just about funding the local church, although it's for that and it matters and that's a worthy investment. That's a great thing to sow into our communities. But tithing is not just about that. It's about leading your heart with generosity. It's why God always refers to it as the first fruits. Before the word tithe comes in in Leviticus, under the law of Moses, the tithe always existed, but they called it the first fruits because it was always meant to be the very first thing. The reason Cain and Abel, anybody remember Cain and Abel? This was the very first sibling rivalry, right? 
uh, Cain, God says, bring me the first of your crops to Abel and bring me the first of your flock to Cain. And Cain says, well, I'm going to give you the last of my crops, God. Because the very first is the best, and I saved the best for me. I worked hard for it. I did everything that I needed to to raise this lamb. I earned it. This is mine. This stays for me. But the little scraggly one at the end, oh, you can have that, God. I'll kill that one for you. We'll sacrifice him. It'll be great. That's all yours. And, and God just did not accept that sacrifice. Cain got really upset about that and killed Abel out of jealousy because God gave uh, praise to Abel for giving the very first of what he had just as God asked him. It's just in the Bible from the very beginning. It's the point I'm making. We didn't need Cain and Abel in here today, maybe. But in the very beginning, this idea of a first fruit, leading with generosity, leading with generosity, it's to teach you to put God first in your lives. If we're gonna be rich well, we don't wanna build a kingdom up for ourselves. We need to build up the kingdom of God by being generous first. We were made to make a difference. It makes us come alive. Giving, not just to the church, but being generous as a person allows us to be a difference maker, a person who actually makes a change in others with our money before we do it in ourselves. We give first because Matthew 6, 21 says, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. I just don't want my heart to be with my car payment. I don't want my heart to be with my mortgage. First, I don't want my heart to be with my, my grocery budget first, my ever-increasing grocery budget. Please, Jesus, help me. Children just keep getting bigger and they eat more and more. That's not where I want my heart to be. I wanna lead with generosity because where I lead, my heart will follow. Where your treasure goes, there goes your heart. Acts 20, verse 35, you're not likely to go wrong here if you keep remembering that our master says you'll be far happier giving than getting. You will find joy and generosity once you learn to think right about it and you stop putting your hope in your money. We give first. It's the principle of the first. We talk about it a lot here. Because I think the principle of the first is about a whole lot more than money. I think God wants the first of everything in your heart and in your life, but it does start there. It is important that our money goes there. Lead with generosity, and then finally, I will put my hope in God. I will be grateful. I will praise him for what I've been given. I know that I don't deserve it anyways. So I'll give him thanks for it. Did I work for it? Sure, yes. But I am grateful for a God who provides. I will be grateful. I will be generous. I will lead with generosity because generosity reorders the way that I view money in my heart. And I will put my hope in God, not in my money, not in my salary, not in my stimulus checks. I'll put my hope in God. That's where we put our hope. We don't find security in our finances. We don't build a fortress of our treasures. We put our hope in him, Proverbs 30, verse eight and nine. Keep falsehood and lies far away from me. Don't have bad thinking. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but just give me my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and dishonor the name of my God. What's he saying here? Jesus talked so much about money 
the Bible talks so much about money because the chief competitor for your soul isn't Satanism or Halloween or scary movies. The chief competitor for your soul is you. We gotta stop living for ourselves or for the dream or for the vision that we have for our lives that we build with our money. If you're a follower of Jesus, it's time to start living for the one who has rescued you, who has saved you, who has set you apart, who has given his life for you, who has set a purpose before you, who has dreams for you, who wants to make you feel more whole than any dollar amount could ever make you feel, who wants to give you more peace than any dollar amount could ever place in your heart, who wants to put in front of you a future that is better than any kind of future you would ever build for yourself. You cannot build, you cannot save for, you cannot invest in the kind of future that your heavenly father wants to give you. It's not bad to do those things. It's not. Don't feel guilty about money. I'm not trying to tell you that. But I'm trying to tell you that if it's the most important thing in your heart, your heart is going to wither. And it's going to be filled with false hope. And you're going to build up something that does not serve you. And you'll be left alone and left by it. And you'll be in need and in want Paul says this in Acts chapter 20, 24. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. My life is not my own. All that I have, I have been given. And so I'm gonna leverage it for the kingdom of God of God. Leverage it for the kingdom of God and it will change the way that you see it. Today we're just getting our thinking right because if we want to be rich on earth, we need to stop thinking about money as the end game. We need to stop thinking about our security and our safety and our power and our position and our privilege in the context of what we can earn and instead we need to place it in what we have been freely given. You have been freely given the gospel message of Jesus Christ. It is all that matters once you start following him. It is the most important thing. You have a job, a mission, a purpose set before you to bring as many folks, as many people, as many others into relationship with Jesus as you can on your time here on this earth. You are made with a way to glorify God and to serve others by bringing the gospel into their hearts. Let money serve that purpose. Let it serve that purpose. Don't become a servant to it. If you're in here today and you've never entered into a relationship with Jesus, maybe you've been stressed about money all your life. Maybe, maybe the number one cause of stress for you is money. Money, money, money. It's the number two cause of stress nationwide is money. Maybe for you it's number one. And you're tired of worrying about it and you're tired of serving it and pursuing it and, and always thinking about that next benchmark. If I could just get to here, I'll be able to spend more time with my family. If I could just get to there, then I'll be able to sleep better at night. If I could just pay off that one thing, then I know I'll have peace again. I'll be able to just dream again. I'll be able to do that thing that I really, if I could just get to this benchmark and I can go on that vacation, then I'm gonna be happy. Then I'll have peace in my life. And if you can just stop living that way for one moment, if you're tired of it, 
it, if you've never felt any gain from it, if you've only ever felt empty by it, if you've only ever felt sad from it, I came to bring you hope today that there is a better one to serve and there is a place you can go where you will feel whole and you can have peace and your money doesn't have to drive your thoughts and your emotions. It doesn't have to control you. It can be something you use to serve a greater purpose rather than a purpose that you serve. If you'd love to enter into that relationship and start that new life here today, all you have to do is accept what's been offered. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You just pray this prayer with me and we'll begin a relationship, a relationship with Jesus and a relationship with his bride, the church. And together we will help you take the next steps you need to take to get into a greater place of purpose and peace than you've ever lived in in your entire life. Just say this prayer with me. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for trying to do this on my own. Forgive me for serving all the wrong things. I believe in you. I receive your gift of salvation today. I thank you for taking all of my sin upon yourself that I could be forgiven. Forgive me, make me whole. Come into my life. Everything that I am from this day forward, I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. The Gathering Church podcast is produced by the Gathering Church creative team. Want to get involved? Fill out a Connect card online at gatherashville.org. Find us on Facebook at The Gathering Church or on Instagram at Gather Asheville.